Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Monday, February 12th, 2024. This is On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, with you for the next two hours. Right here on ESPN 106.7. With me in the studio, as he is every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, it's Uncle T-Bone. Happy Monday, sir. How was your weekend, man? Oh, it was a great weekend. Tons to talk about. Give us a call here at On The Line, 334-321-1390. If you want to get your get your thoughts on a post-Super Bowl. Yeah. And a very exciting game that went into overtime. Some people claiming it's rigged. I don't think so. <laughs> Auburn looks lost again on the road down in Gainesville I guess we'll add another year to that miserable losing streak Auburn not winning again in Gainesville going back all the way to 1996 Alabama loses both its offensive coordinator and offensive line coach not just before the season Jacob but before spring ball even starts so we got a lot to talk about there and maybe even get a little baseball talk in with the boys of summer return this friday to plainsman park so there is a lot of moving targets out there in the sport, sports world where would you like to begin today well i would love to start with the game that happened last night the super bowl last night and let me say this i talk about this every year lots of people talk about this every year um but i know in our business it's not as crucial and or I guess it is more crucial and it's not as a realistic thing for you and me but for the average Joe the the common American the day after the Super Bowl should be a holiday should be a day off of work I'm just saying why not just go ahead and move President's Day to the day after the Super Bowl every year or put the Super Bowl on Saturday you know, I've I, seen a I lot just, of people jump on that one this year too moving the Super Bowl to Saturday I know the NFL's played on Sunday but Everybody, look, we all know what's going on. Everybody gets together, Super Bowl parties, you're out late, you're eating food, you're maybe having a beverage or two, whatever, if you're into that type of thing. But even if you're not, if you're, you're still out late, you know, in game going into overtime last night, you don't get home till 10 30, 11 o'clock, and then you got to get up and go to work the next day. Come on, man. That's, that's un American, in my opinion. You ought to move it either, move it to Saturday or make the day after the Super Bowl a holiday i mean who's who's against that besides i don't know business owners <laughs> besides people who have to uh, make a payroll that's right? right that's right uh i you know look next monday's a holiday it's a federal holiday it's president's day why not just go ahead and make it the sunday after super bowl and at least give some people the option of uh laying out the next day i myself stayed at home it was a dreary and miserable oh, day miserable yesterday, yesterday. Just pouring down rain Ugh. and it's been the same way today so uh we just kind of hung out and and had some wings and had you know had a little tailgate spread and uh just had a good old time watching the game uh my my what lucky wife actually won a square there you go and there uh, you go you, know, you got to be in on those things so that made it even that much sweeter 
But to the Super Bowl, man, we called it how can you bet against Patrick Mahomes, Jacob? You said it's like going against Nick Saban. I call it the Saban factor. Yep, the Saban factor. Do not bet against him. So many questions about that overtime decision. A couple of them. The first question is why did San Francisco take the ball first? which I didn't have quite the problem with, but then why did they elect to kick a field goal? Everyone at our house, except for me, was like, why aren't they going for the touchdown here? You know KC's going to go down and have and score a touchdown the way they've moved the ball the last quarter up and down the field. And at first I was like, you know, that's not how pro football works. You got to play the odds, and the odds are always like just take the points, play some defense, try mm-hmm. and win the game in that situation. It was a fourth and four at that situation, I believe, for San Fran. But looking back, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think they got to go for the touchdown there and be aggressive mm. because if you're not aggressive and you don't take out Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City and you give them just an inkling of a window – Nine times out of ten, they walk through the window or they dive through the window and win the game. Well, here's the thing about yesterday in the Super Bowl was before overtime and before the second half, there was a 10-3 to halftime score. And I'll be honest, it was a boring first half. It was. It was slow. It was sloppy. Turnovers. It was a high-level defensive game. Uh, the only touchdown was from the 49ers on the on the double pass to, to Christian McCaffrey, who then strolled into the end zone. And, you know, halftime came along, and it was like, all right, you know, we got a one-possession game, but hasn't been a whole lot of excitement. And then Usher got everybody going and, and got everybody up at the halftime show, which I enjoyed. I liked it. I thought it was a good show. Some people thought it was a little boring but i liked it and i'm a big usher fan so i uh, liked the show i thought yeah. you know they came out i thought it was going to be a little too marvin gay a little too slow for uncle t-bone but when they when they busted out with the roller skates and then busted them back that was fantastic i thought it was one of the better halftime show i've seen in years and the only complaint i have is i'd like to have seen a little bit more of alicia keys mm, good go. gravy <laughs> Well, they were there. You had little John was there. I mean, all all sorts of yeah. folks at the halftime show. And then out out of the gate in that third quarter, Kansas City dominated. They put up ten points, and then the fourth quarter got really exciting. It was like, all right, here we go. Now we got right. us a good football game, and you get to you get to overtime nineteen nineteen. What a weird score that was. And you had the blocked PAT, and I told my buddies, I said, that's going to come back to get them. And sure enough, that was the difference maker getting to overtime. And then, yeah, you know, in the past in the NFL, I have complained about this for years, how the NFL overtime rules were the dumbest rule I've ever read in sports. In sports, not just football where you got to overtime, two great teams, you played four quarters. The only thing that's dumber is when you tie in soccer. But you would get to overtime, and you'd say, all right, teams, you did a great job. Played a great game. Played your hearts out for four quarters. You prepped all week for this game. And we're going to take it down to a coin flip. We're going to take it down to a 50-50 chance. And if you call the right one, you're probably going to win the game. Because what would happen? You'd call heads. It would land on heads. Oh, we want the football. And then you'd score a touchdown and the game was over. And the other team wouldn't even get to touch the field. Just talk to Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. They've been on the wrong side of that more than anybody. But in the playoffs this season... 
they changed it to where now it's similar to the college game where both teams get a chance to touch the football. And I don't know if you've seen this, Uncle T-Bone, but there have been numerous players on both teams from last night that admitted they did not know the rule had changed, including the man himself who scored the game-winning touchdown did not know he had just won the Super Bowl until he saw Patrick Mahomes celebrating, who told him verbally, hey, we just won the Super Bowl. So that's pretty crazy in itself. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm not surprised by that, though, to the least extent. I did not, at the at the end of that first quarter, right, when the Chiefs had moved down, I thought, well, man, there's only 20 seconds left in this in this part of the overtime, and they better hurry up. They better call a timeout. They, you know, they're, they're running out of time. What are they doing here? And then Tony Romo came on and said, for all you people out there who are kind of freaking out right now, this, th- th- this is just a quarter of overtime. They can wait, and the clock can run out, and they can go to the other side of the field. And I was like, okay, whew, yeah. all right, now I see what's going on. So they have changed those rules. You know, the, you mentioned the block uh, extra point uh, – uh, Jake Moody had an excellent, excellent game for San Francisco kicking outside of that kick. If that thing is blocked, but if you watch, it's hooking already and it's low. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have made that even if it wasn't blocked. It's you don't not, think so? No, 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 no. Because it was over there on the on the on his left side of the line where the guy jumped up. It wasn't like he was in the middle, right above the center, and did the 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 really high jump up and just tip it. I mean, mm-hmm. he duck hooked that kick, and Tony Romo and team uh, pointed that out. So uh, outside of that kick, though, he had a fantastic game and really kept San Francisco in it with his leg. What can you say too about Kansas City's kicker Harrison Buckner? He's got to be one of the best kickers in the league. Dude. Oh He's yeah, just dropping yeah. atomic bombs out there. I mean, this is like. Towns McBoom from Auburn High's, you know, Godfather or something, man. I mean, he's just making kicks from everywhere. It was a fantastic game. Um, the second half was second half was the so first much half better, was boring. Yeah. I'll admit, and you got to think that when San Fran goes up ten to nothing and their defense is playing lights out, lights out, they're playing lights out. But they kept getting these weird injuries, like Greenlaw jumping oh. up and down on the sideline and tearing his Achilles tendon. I mean, uh, does that make the difference in the game? Right, covering Travis Kelsey up on a play later in the game when Kelsey got loose and, and kept a drive going. But you just felt like in that first half, Jacob, if. San San Fran could have just, when they were up 10 to nothing, if they could have just scored one more point, just a field goal, a safety, anything, a touchdown, and continued to keep Kansas City with that big donut hole, that they would have won the game, and they just could not put them away. Uh, San Francisco loses in yet another Super Bowl. The Chiefs win yet another Super Bowl. And the, the conversations that you know, massive, large ESPN and even us ESPN affiliates and pretty much everybody in sports radio, sports talk, media, social media, whatever, even before the Super Bowl had taken place, people had started having the conversation, is Patrick Mahomes threatening Tom Brady with the GOAT status, right? With the greatest of all time. And you start to look at it, Uncle T-Bone, that is a 28-year-old young man, 28 years old. 
and he's already doing massive things. Just won his third Super Bowl. He's got a few MVPs in his back pocket. Doesn't look like he's slowing down. This was a Kansas City team in the middle of the season that was going through brutal stretches, losing terrible games. Everybody was like, oh, dynasty's over. That was fun while it lasted. And then Patrick Mahomes did his thing. Mm -hmm. He is one of the greatest quarterbacks already that we've ever seen play the game of professional football. And again, he's 28 years old. Yeah, I agree with you. And when they needed and had to have a play, they kept the ball in Patrick Mahomes. And how many scrambles for first downs in the last quarter and in overtime did he get? I mean, they were talking about when you have to have a first down, you're not taking the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And, and admittedly, he did not play very well in the first half. I mean, they were struggling. San Francisco really had them confused. They had a lot of back coverage that looked like zone, but they were moving into man-to-man. They were moving people around with their blitz packages. But it wasn't just Patrick Mahomes. You got to give some credit, too, to Andy Reid. He really settled in and figured out what San Fran was trying to do and adjusted his play calling, especially for that. Um, I think that what you're going to see with Patrick Mahomes and these Chiefs is going to continue to last for a while because for some reason I just don't feel like there's quite that ego that was up in up in New England and, and there's not that argument hopefully won't go hey is it you know Brady or was it Belichick right I don't see that happening here in Kansas City that's a good point there's just a it's just a team that I think pretty much everyone knows that Patrick Mahomes is the man right he's the leader of this team he's probably one of the best players in the NFL if not the best right now we're just going to roll with him and we're going to roll with him as long as we can and he's doing this with multiple other players through this too it's not like this has just been some base around him outside of Travis Kelsey that's a really interesting point that you bring up because and I'll support it by saying I think it helps that Andy Reid has won a Super Bowl elsewhere. He's won a Super Bowl with a different franchise, different quarterback, all of that. And he's been around the game for a long, long time. And you look at what's happening with Bill Belichick once Tom Brady left. The Patriots have done nothing but gone down. He's out. He's not even coaching anymore. All 32 teams have filled their head coaching vacancy, and the name Bill Belichick isn't anywhere to be found. And so I think you're right. I think the Chiefs have just become that franchise and give credit to Patrick Mahomes, to Travis Kelsey, to all the receivers and the running backs that they've had and currently have. And then, yeah, Andy Reid himself, who is a fantastic football coach, who was almost written off and then got this final shot in Kansas City and he's taking advantage of it. And wanted to get your thoughts and our listeners' thoughts as well, 334-321-1390, on the video that went viral. And it wasn't just a video. They caught it live on the broadcast when Travis Kelsey was clearly upset, who had been targeted like one or two times, only had a couple of catches, and got all up in the face of his head coach, Andy Reid, that we were just talking about, got in his face, was visibly upset, bumped the head coach, knocked him back, like was was letting him have it for a little bit. And, I mean, everybody was talking about it at our Super Bowl party on social media. Like, everybody was talking about it. And then afterwards, Kelsey kind of joked. He said, I was just telling him how much I loved him. But what happens if they didn't win that game? Because that could have been a very, very 
it already was a viral moment, but that could have been a turning point, good or bad. Now, you could say it was good since they won and he got targeted a lot more in the second half, but a lot of people weren't a fan of that whole of that whole situation there, Uncle Tebow. They shouldn't be a fan of it. I mean, he shouldn't be up in the, in Andy Reid's area and his the circle in his around grill. him, like yeah. really in his grill. He should never touch him, giving him the business, especially. Uh, to me, it just proves a couple of things. One, that Travis Kelsey's still uh, very immature, and uh, you didn't see any other players acting like that. Really, not only in that game, but this entire season. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen that in the NFL, except for maybe one time when Kevin Steele got body slammed by former Auburn great uh, Kevin Green. So, I mean, look, dude, uh, and then and then it also just shows how how stable and how professional Andy Reid is because that could have probably rattled a weaker-minded coach, right? Like, oh, my gosh, you know, I mean, that, that that's an emotional moment. He didn't let that linger. He didn't let that affect his job. You know, he kind of just kept rolling with it. And I think finally, Kelsey, you know, I, I think it's – I thought it was embarrassing. I thought it was ridiculous. And, and, and I think it says so much more for Andy Reid, and it says so much less for Travis Kelsey. Well, here's the thing that, that I was talking about and a lot of us were having a discussion about, and we'll wrap this up before we get to break. That's the difference in being an NFL coach and being a college coach. And there's a lot of conversation right now. For now. For now. There's a lot of conversation, and rightfully so, about all of these college coaches flocking to the NFL because of how difficult and how much change is going on in the college game. And again, very understandable. But in college, if a player gets up in the face of the head coach and starts you know, throwing a shoulder and letting him have it, you're on the bench, you're in the locker room, see you later, buddy, you're not going to play anymore. Because it's a... 50 to 60 year old talking to an 18 19 year old in an adult young adult situation in the nfl this is grown man versus grown man this is andy reed head coach of a professional football team and his star tight end who makes five times the amount of money he does and he can basically tell you whatever he wants to tell you and there's not a whole lot that you can do about it that's the difference in the nfl and college because what if Andy Reid said, yeah, you're done, see you later? He may have lost his job, literally. He may have lost his job for not playing Travis Kelsey anymore in the Super Bowl, but the players have that much power because they have that much money. And again, that's two grown men versus a grown man head college coach and, again, a young 18-, 19-year-old. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, I think that Andy Reid handled that uh, situation perfectly. Under the circumstances, he didn't throw a hissy fit back. There were no pulling pulling them away from one another. He just kind of just let it roll off. You know, look, kid, I got a job to do. You can be all mad all you want, emotional uh, right now all you want. We're in the biggest game of the year. We're in the Super Bowl. Get it together, and I'm going to show you how to get it together by continuing to do my job. And maybe it did work. Travis Kelsey ended up with nine catches, 93 yards on the night. Kansas City, your Super Bowl champs back-to-back. 25-22 over the San Francisco 49ers. We'll take our first break here on hour number one. Come back. We've got more NFL news that relates to college and the team across the state. We'll talk about that coming up here on the Monday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. 
Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. We roll on here on the Monday edition of On the Line. He's Uncle T-Bone. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7. And for those of you who have not looked at a map lately, in case you didn't know, there is a direct line on, there's a road, I think, from Tuscaloosa to Seattle. From the, from the campus of Alabama all the way to the facility of the Seattle Seahawks. Because two coaches from the Crimson Tide have been poached, Uncle T-Bone, from that new Alabama staff. The offensive line coach, Scott Huff, will leave Alabama. He will go to Seattle. Oh, they also got Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator. But that was never going to happen, Uncle T-Bone. Can't believe Seattle would come in and hire that guy. And he's now their offensive coordinator at Seattle. It's been a bumpy ride for the Alabama football program, even going back to the uh, loss to Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Ever since then, I mean, they've lost their head coach, who's the greatest of all time, Nick Saban. They may or may not have hired like their third or fourth choice, the head coach from Washington, Kalen DeBoer. Uh, you know, Saban had bragged about, you know, after Washington looked so good at, against Texas that, you know, he'd even tried to hire their offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb, away from him and he knew that he was going to be good and then Grubb shows up with DeBoer and Scott Huff the offensive line coach in Tuscaloosa when uh when they are when DeBoer is hired um and then all of a sudden they're gone I mean they, they've left they're not even going to be here for spring practice what's really weird about this one though is um February 7th 3.45 p.m. There's a post here on X from the next round. There are a bunch of Bammers who cover Bammers sports. And the quote, is, it's a video of Ryan Grubb talking to, quote-unquote, people from the Red Elephant Club today at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Quote, I'm Ryan Grubb. I'm your new offensive coordinator. And that was Grubb speaking to them after signing day, assuring them that he wasn't going anywhere. And then he's gone. He's hired from the, to the Seahawks, and Alabama waits until after signing day to acknowledge this, or at least Ryan Grubb does, and then waits till after the transfer portal has closed so nobody else can leave their program like the 20 or so did right after Saban announced he was retiring. And um, it's really kind of caused a stir here. A lot of rivals, and it's not just Auburn folks, and a lot of people in the national media have a questions about the, the, the timing of this departure and was, oh, I don't know, Alabama dishonest with potential recruits in, in their, own, their own roster and their own players on whether or not Grubb was going to Seattle and waiting until this weird time where no one could leave the program. And, and the, the counter-argument is, well, there, there, there's a new window after spring. Well, you know, there's a lot of different rules in that window, and, I, and you can't transfer necessarily interconference without a waiver during that transfer portal window. So, you know, my question really and truly about the whole thing is, would Ryan Williams have gone to Alabama if he'd have known that, that, that uh, Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator that even Saban had bragged about that he was trying to hire at one point, was going to be going to Seattle and not even be there for the spring? Yeah, and, you know, it's – it's a it's a sticky situation because I had read and heard that 
Ryan Grubb's family was still in Seattle. Um, they had still been out there, and and that when he was in Tuscaloosa, they had not made that move yet. And so maybe he accepted the, the job, but he knew that there were opportunities to go elsewhere or go to the NFL. His first job in the NFL is now with this Seahawks program, or Seahawks organization, I should say. And I don't know. It, it's just a, it's a weird situation, and... The thing that gets me, and not to to pick on Alabama fans, but they were convinced that it just couldn't happen. They were con- they would, had were telling everybody that he's not going anywhere. He's staying with DeBoer, and rightfully so because he had stayed with DeBoer this entire time. But does he really want to be in the college game anymore? Back to that conversation. I don't know. Does he want to be at Alabama? I don't know. A guy that's basically from Seattle. Does he want to be in Tuscaloosa? Well. Doesn't really seem like it, does it? No, that's pretty obvious. I mean, that's the second time that he's told the folks in Tuscaloosa that he was out and didn't want any part of it. You know, there's a lot of reports here that the news that Ryan Grubb let uh, leaving Alabama to become Seattle's offense coordinator broke with about an hour left in the 30-day transfer window for Bama players. Do not think that every single coach that recruits about out against Alabama out there is not telling every single recruit or even possible transfer player they're a dishonest bunch and they're not looking out for you. Grubb expected to bring Alabama offensive line coach Scott Huff with him as well, who was Washington's offensive line coach. And that group won uh, the best – they won the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in college football. So – There it is. Seattle's got themselves a couple of good coaches. We'll talk Auburn basketball and the disappointment that was in Gainesville when we come back here on the Monday edition of On the Line. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Monday edition of On the Line here on the Auburn Opelika Sports Leader ESPN. 106.7, I'm Jacob Goins. With me as he is every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Uncle T-Bone in the studio as we move along in our topics of conversations to one where we were hoping to have better things to say today on a Monday. We were hoping to have better conversations and a little bit more of a joy in our voice, if you will, about Auburn basketball and hoping to break the streak in Gainesville. But guess what? That didn't happen. Auburn went on the road and did what they always do. And they played bad. They just played bad, Uncle T-Bone. Look, Florida played great. Auburn played bad. And the results showed in the final score, which does not tell the whole story. Auburn got beat by 25 or 30 in this game. They did. They were down by that much. They were beaten to death at the beginning of the game, middle of the game, and end of the game. And yet again, Auburn goes on the road. They were a ranked team on the road to an unranked team in conference play. And what does that mean? That's where they go to die. And that's exactly what happened to Bruce Pearl and the Tigers on Saturday. We'd love to get your thoughts. 334-321-1390. Uncle T-Bone, let it rip, man. Well, first of all, I wish I'd have taken our good friend Andy, one of our favorite callers, advice, and just sat this one out like he said he was going to do Friday. He had He just didn't quite have the – 
the warm and fuzzies about Auburn going on the road. I want to apologize to everybody because I said we were going to win and that there was a quiet confidence in this program after taking care of business, not just against Alabama, but in three straight, including a road win over in Oxford. I thought that we had outgrown all these road woes. One thing that I would like to acknowledge is I am apologizing because I had no clue or no recollection and it's my job to have this, that Florida had the week off last week. Huge, huge, huge advantage for the Gators. While we're, you know, going into our death match against the University of Alabama, they're at home eating popcorn and and Cheerios and watching us grind it out and then just taking five, six days to rest and get ready for us at home. That's awful. I mean, I I did not realize that was happening until they announced it pregame, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And you could tell within the first four minutes, five minutes of this game that we were going to lose. Which is something Bruce Pearl brought up was, and not as an excuse, but it is sort of. And it did matter because Auburn played Alabama on Wednesday night. And then you have to go to Gainesville. You travel on Friday to go play that game on Saturday afternoon. So, yeah, you had one day to practice and prep before you travel to go to Gainesville. Yeah, it had an effect. But does that mean that Auburn should have gotten beaten as much as they did? No. Auburn's still the better team. But yet, you go on the road and... Your game plan is out the window. When the team throws everything they've got at you, Auburn didn't have a response. And yeah, Florida was ready to play in this game. And that's a good Florida team. That's an NCAA tournament Florida team right now. Yeah, no question about it. You know, they did what you can't do on the road, and that's just immediately start digging a hole right after tip-off. And the crowd got into it, and Florida got hot. And they well, it was nine nothing threes. start or something. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just—I mean, it was almost over before it began. Look, I think Auburn basketball is all right. Okay, I mean, I don't think this is the end of the world by any means. But I'm going to say this: I think Auburn's a very good team right now, but I don't think they're a great team right now. And quite frankly, this can change, and I've seen it change. At the end of the season, like in 2019, I really don't think that this team right now is a ch- has that championship drive. I mean, you just don't they, – they don't have that competitive spirit right now, in my opinion, to not – it's one thing to get beat, but to just get dominated and run out of the arena like they did. I mean, that the, the, the final score is not indicative of, of how bad Florida beat Auburn. They were not ready to play, man. They just didn't look like they wanted to be there. They didn't look like to me, you know, one thing I still continue cannot and will never understand is why not just take a timeout and regroup when these teams go on runs, but it just seems like that's not the Bruce Pearl way. And can someone page the real Aiden Holloway? You know, and I hate to say this and come down on the kid, but right now he's trending towards a five-star bust. Hmm. I mean, he's a non-factor. He was on Saturday. 0 for 5, 0 for 2 from deep, 0 points, and 2 rebounds, 1 assist. Uh, Didn't have any turnovers, but yeah, he... uh, you can say that he accounted for about two points with an assist. I want to see how Auburn responds to this uh, embarrassing loss down in Gainesville Wednesday night when they host South Carolina. Mm. Um, you know, that's a team that is tied now with Alabama 
at number one in the SEC. And look, I know LSU's not the same type team that Florida is, and they didn't have a break last week, but the tide went down to Baton Rouge after their big matchup on the road with Auburn and took care of business to continue to be number one in the league. Dropped a hundred piece. And again, and and here we are just going down there and looking like a rec league team, a church league team against the Florida Gators. And they look like they were not only a tournament team against us, but a team that's looking to make a long tournament run. So huge win for Florida. They're officially heading towards the uh, NCAA tournament if they keep trending just a little bit in the way that they played against Auburn Saturday. Yeah, I'd say that probably takes them off the bubble. Lenardi has not updated his bracketology, but going into the weekend, Florida was one of the last four buys. And so, yeah, a win over a top 15 Auburn team by as much as they did, you better believe that probably took Florida off the bubble. Let's get to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. John, you're on the line with Jacob and Uncle T. Hey guys, hey guys, Uncle T Bone, I'm gonna do something you don't want to hear. I'm gonna make an excuse, but I think the excuse fits a little bit. All right, lay it on. So this this is five losses for Auburn this year. One was it one was in South Dakota against Baylor in the opener. Mm-hmm. The second one, App State, if I remember right, that was a ten or an eleven AM Central start. On like a Sunday morning. No, it was it was a little later than that because there was a parade in Auburn that day, if I remember correctly. I think it was the Auburn Christmas parade, and they they tipped off right when that parade started. Are you talking about the the App State the App State game? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. But, but I will say the a a a worthy excuse for that is, and I still say it to this day that that was the day after the Iron Bowl. Our team is made up of college kids, and I know what I was doing on Iron Bowl day when I was a college Absolutely. kid. Well, okay, and then you had then you had a two game road trip without coming home in the conference, mm-hmm. which you hardly ever see. Yeah, which I, I, of, I have not been a fan of for quite some time. I'm not a fan of that either. And then you have Sunday's game or Saturday's game, right? Which was, uh, and it's kind of just one of those you walk into. But here, here's the quick question I have for y'all, and I've bounced this back and forth in my head for 20 years. It's an opinion question. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Is it harder, if you had to rank the difficulty of going on the road in this conference, is it harder to go on the road in football, baseball, or basketball? Hmm. There's I actually, I, I think, I think baseball and basketball are interchangeable. I think it's easiest to go on the road in football. Why is that, John? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's because there are fewer games. There's only a game a week. If you think about how hard it is in this conference to go on the road and beat somebody in baseball – I mean, how many times do you see a road sweep in, in baseball? Yeah, I mean, how many times do you see a sweep in baseball, especially in this conference, though? I mean, the SEC, I mean, you know sure. that. It's it's as good as anybody. Sure. But it's just, it's amazing to me that with, you know, 90, 100,000 seat stadiums and for football, it's 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 easier to it's easier to get a road win in an environment like that than it would be to go into Knoxville or go into Lexington until the last three weeks. Yeah. Just, just an interesting talking point. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you this. I think basketball is so tough to go on the road in college basketball because, like you said, John, there's so many games and you have very little time to do a true prep and breakdown and digest for each and every opponent like Bruce Pearl talked about I mean starting last week they put everything they had into Alabama yes they have assistant coaches that prepare ahead and they do those scouting reports and stuff but I mean 
you have two days to prep for Florida and you hope that you got it right and you hope that you have everything you need to beat that team and you know you have these smaller venues you have all the everything that people talk about with the depth perception and all that which is a true thing but I think a lot of it just comes down to a mindset too and and Auburn is just in their own head when it comes to playing on the road in basketball man it's just not somewhere Auburn is good playing it, it is and I'll make this one point in in basketball it's interesting were this were this football and Auburn lost you know a couple let's say it was 20 years ago and Auburn lost a bunch of 11 o'clock games because Jeff Jefferson Pilot got the got the contract for it Auburn fans would be up to high heavens mm-hmm. about you know why is JP getting these games and why are our home games at 11 o'clock and why are we playing seven o'clock road games in basketball you don't hear that conversation as much but I think the results kind of uh, equivocate that kind of perspective yeah i think i think there's an argument to that for sure all right thank you guys yep thanks so much john appreciate the call 334-321-1390 and i'll say this too i think with football yes it it's hard to play on the road in this conference when you go to lsu you go to the swamp you go to texas a&m like you go to places you go to auburn right you go to places like that where you're playing in front of anywhere from 80,000 to 100,000 people. But I also think, again, you have longer to prepare for it. You've done it for a while. And I also think that there is a much bigger stress on we have to win this game. Because look at what college football has been for the last 20, 30 years. You can afford to lose one game maybe two with the playoff expanding and now it's going to be a little bit more but think back to the bcs era like you could have one loss and it better be the right loss to the right team and you better look good doing it right those road games were stressed so much more as being more important because there's less of them Whereas in college basketball, and especially college baseball, I mean, how many times do we talk about Auburn baseball when they go on the road to LSU and it's like, just get one. Just get one out of the series. Don't get swept. Just get a game and you're good to go. Same thing kind of with basketball. It's like, okay, Auburn lost on the road at Florida. In the grand scheme of things, is this one game going to ruin the season because you lost on the road in the conference? No. There's a deeper breakdown to it. But just losing a game on the road in conference play is not the end of the world because there's so many more games. So I think that's why maybe it is a little bit more difficult because – you know, you may not get your team's best every single night when they go on the road, depending on what the travel was or what the last few games have been like. And and I think you can make that argument for Auburn right now. I mean, check my math here, Jacob, but isn't Auburn 3-3 three and three on the road this year in, in conference play? They went out to Arkansas and won. They beat Vanderbilt. They beat Ole Miss. And they've lost to Alabama, Mississippi State, and now Florida. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty solid. And I saw some stats, and I'm trying to find them, that Bruce Pearl's been one of the most successful coaches in the SEC on the road record-wise over the last three to four years. So, yeah, it's real difficult. I just kind of get tired of people just excusing it away because I'm a fan. And, you know, with my last dying breath, I want us to win every game. I just, you know, 
it just bothers me when folks are like, well, it's just on the road. It's no big deal. That's college basketball. NCAA Tennis, tournament's not played on the road. Ten- Tennessee lost A and M Saturday night too. I guess they're no good too, right, Uncle T Bone? And they got a bust on their team too, right? It's just I'm tired. I, I don't. I don't want to excuse it away. It's not the end of the world. But I also just don't want to just be like, well, it's no big deal. We'll just we'll just throw the tape away and move on because. We've seen this so many times, right? And and when you see it over and over again, and then you kind of equate it to, well, that same year that this happened two or three years ago, we got bounced from the NCAA tournament aggressively in the second round and we're two in barbecue. And I hate to sound greedy here, but I want us to go a little bit deeper in the NCAA tournament this year, and I think this team's capable of it. But when they get beat so badly like they did against Florida and Gainesville, it kind of rattles my uh, confidence in that. And i got to start claiming, oh, I don't know, looks like two in barbecue again, Jacob. Mm, well, I've got a take on this, and I want us to continue talking about this because I'm going to give you my reasoning on why it is so important and why it is stressed so hard from people like us in Sports Talk Radio and people that cover this team on a daily basis, why it is significant that Auburn cannot win on the road. I know the NCAA tournament's not played in Gainesville. I know it's not played in Tuscaloosa, but there's a lot more to it than that, and I'm going to tell you why when we come back as we wrap up hour number one here on the Monday edition of On the Line. You are on the line. On ESPN 1067, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Got a couple of more minutes here in hour number one on the Monday edition of On the Line as we continue breaking down the Auburn basketball loss at Florida on Saturday, 81-65. to And Uncle T-Bone, you said this earlier, but that score just it doesn't tell the story in my eyes Auburn lost this game by 25 or 30 points and um, that I mean that's what happened in this game Auburn sure came back a little bit in the second half if you want to consider that but Auburn got waxed in this game and we were talking about it in our caller John brought up a point about you know playing on the road and you've you said that Auburn is three and three on the road in conference play this season which is right and you know, everybody keeps saying, well, the NCAA tournament's not played on the road. We're fine. Auburn's fine. Everything's going to be fine. Because, oh, Auburn plays great at home and Auburn plays great at neutral site. Yeah, yeah so far. And while the NCAA tournament may not be played on the road in Gainesville or in Boone, North Carolina, or in Tuscaloosa, guess what? The NCAA tournament's not played inside of Neville Arena. It's not played in Auburn either. It's played somewhere in California or in Las Vegas or in New York or in Florida or wherever. And you're playing neutral site. And you're playing a team that you don't know anything about. That you don't know. You don't know how they play. You don't know what they're going to do. You've never seen them more times than not. And the reason that I get concerned when Auburn goes on the road and drops an egg like they did on Saturday against Florida, it's not about, oh, we can't Auburn can't shoot in an opposing team's gym. That's not what it's about at all. It's about not being able to beat a good team away from your home gym. 
It's about not being able to overcome adversity when you get punched in the mouth or you don't bring your A game or having concern because you didn't bring your A game to start at the beginning of the game. And when you're not playing your best and some team is lighting it up from everywhere and doing anything they want, the inability to overcome that. And this is a scary trend that I saw with the number one team in the country just a few years ago who was playing lights out, playing really well, but had issues, just like this team does. This team is really good. And I would argue that at their best, this team is better than that Jabari Smith team because of the depth, because of the abilities, and just how dangerous they are. But it's so hit or miss on when you get that. And there's a good chance you get that one of these games this week against South Carolina and Kentucky. But what happens if you meet this South Carolina team on a neutral floor? What would happen if you played that Kentucky team at Madison Square Garden in New York? I don't know. I don't know. And that's what worries me is you just don't know what you're going to get out of this Auburn team. And guess what? When you get to the NCAA tournament, you're going to run into a buzzsaw somewhere. Teams found that out with Auburn in 2019 because they were the buzzsaw. And what happens when this Auburn team finds that in the second round of the NCAA tournament? I don't have the confidence for them to overcome it because they haven't shown that to me yet. Uh, There's something that I think that we're not talking about, and you just completely nailed it, and it's mental toughness and confidence. It's what I like to call championship grit. Even on the days when you don't have your best stuff, And Auburn's proven that on the road there's been plenty of times in the last three, four years where they didn't have their best stuff and they were not able to overcome themselves. It's I'm not going to say they quit. It's like they just didn't show up. It's like, okay, you know what? This one doesn't really matter. We're going to get a mulligan because we're going to get into the tournament. And you've got to approach every single matchup from here on out of your Auburn with championship grit, a competitive spirit. I don't care if we're playing in the Alaskan shootout. I don't care if they've got us in Dayton for rounds one and two or we're in New Orleans or we're in Nashville for the SEC tournament at home or away in conference. We're going to go in there, and even if we don't have our best stuff, we're going to overcome it, and we're going to take this team to the brink and win. To me, right now, that's what Auburn basketball is missing. And if they get that, and if they bring that, I don't know if there's a team in the country that can stop them. I agree with you there. But you've got to get that game in and game out, especially with the teams you have on the schedule this week. We'll continue talking Auburn basketball, SEC basketball, college basketball, and so much more coming up in hour number two. Plus, Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network will join us. You can as well. 334-321-1390. Hour number two coming up. You are on the line. 
Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway here in hour number two on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He is Uncle T-Bone. If you missed any of the first hour, you can go and catch up with the podcast later on today at ESPNAU.com or just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast. Talked about the Super Bowl back in hour number one. Also talked some Auburn basketball as well. And don't you worry, we will continue talking Auburn basketball here in hour number two SEC basketball college basketball as well and then uh, coming up in about 30 minutes we're gonna have Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network he'll join us to recap Auburn basketball men and women also talk a little softball as they had a up and down weekend I'll say weather did not help the Lady Tigers over at J.B. Moore Field and then You've got Auburn baseball starting this week, so we get to talk about that as well. So that'll be with Jacob Hillman coming up in about 30 minutes or so. But until then, phone lines are still open. Give us a call, 334-321-1390. And Uncle T-Bone, let's look around the SEC in college basketball. What in the world happened this weekend around the great sport of college basketball now that football is officially over for college and NFL yeah you got the spring leads coming up whatever football's over for now but we still got college basketball and yet again it was a wild wild weekend around this sport man yeah it all kicked off in the SEC early Saturday with Alabama traveling to LSU and uh, just like almost a, a photocopy of their game in Tuscaloosa, a, a, a high-scoring affair where Alabama pulls away very late with and, and just whips LSU points-wise. But this was a great game. Yeah. I watched a lot of this game leading up to the Auburn-Florida game. LSU held their own. They kind of took a playbook out of the Auburn uh, strategy against Alabama at home at Neville Arena last Wednesday, and they started pounding inside and they started pounding on Grant Grant Nelson. But, I, you know, Alabama does not play a lot of defense basketball-wise, but they sure can score a lot of points. And, and teams that want to get into a shootout with them – uh, you better watch out because especially Riley Griffin and Mark Sears, they can knock back threes like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, you better believe that. And Alabama bounces back after having two road games in the same week. They were able to get their second win done. Uh, you had number three, North Carolina, have to survive on the road at Miami, 75-72. Uh, one of the few ranked games this weekend, number 13, Baylor, and number four, Kansas. Jayhawks escape 64-61 in the Big 12 continues to be a top two conference in college basketball it's them in the sec right now yeah no question about it an interesting game that was out of conference in league play gonzaga travels to kentucky and hands i loved them it. another loss 89 to 85 
in Rupp Arena, and Kentucky fan is losing their mind right now. Hard to believe that Kentucky is going to stay in the AP Top 25, but somehow, some way, I'm sure they will. Your South Carolina team, though, takes care of business to tie Alabama at the top of the league. That was over, I believe, on the SEC Network. Uh, they they had a uh, almost a uh, a pass this weekend hosting Vandy, and they roll 75 to 60. They'll travel to Neville Arena this Wednesday night. That's a good South Carolina team, and we're going to talk about that as the week goes on. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, Auburn fans. You better be scared of that South Carolina team. They are a good, good group defensively. You, nobody has gotten Auburn off their game like South Carolina can, and they're going to do everything they can to do that on Wednesday. I believe I saw a stat, and, and if I'm wrong, I sincerely apologize. But I believe I saw a stat that for the first time ever, maybe under John Calipari or maybe in, in program history or something, I'll have to look it up to double-check, Kentucky has lost three straight games inside of Rupp Arena. Florida, Tennessee, and Gonzaga. They've lost three straight at home. its I know it's been a long time since that's happened. It's been, according to ESPN, since 1966. Wow. How about that? There you go. So thanks for, thanks for uh, double-checking that. Since 1966, Kentucky has lost three straight inside of Rupp Arena. Tell me there ain't some, some worried folks up in, up in the Bluegrass State right now. No, I mean, no question about it. You know, I... Is John Calipari suddenly on the hot seat once and for all? I mean, has been a lot a of people times. think that he's underachieved with as much talent as he's had up there. He's kind of had a free ride really inside the SEC for quite some time until the last four or five, six years when other programs really started stepping up. Only one national championship up there. That's just unacceptable to the Big Blue Nation. And if they continue to lose and 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 really kind of get bumped out of that SEC tournament where they've dominated for so many years and Big Blue Nation just completely takes over the Nashville arena and, and they don't make any noise in that tournament, you better watch out, Calipari, because they'll be looking, uh, they'll be looking to scalp his slick head. Another game around the SEC. How about Texas A&M handling Tennessee on Saturday? 85-69. Aggies take down the number six team in the country. Tennessee now 17-6, 7-3 overall in SEC play. Texas A&M hanging around in the SEC conference right there in that middle of the pack. Yeah, no doubt about it. We've talked about how this is where Buzz Williams and Texas A&M thrives, where it's almost one or done. They love it. And they love it, and then they work their way into the SEC tournament and then kind of work their way into the NCAA tournament. He's a fantastic coach. I really like Buzz Williams. Wade Taylor the fourth went crazy in that game. I watched a lot of that game. I watched a lot of the game previous to that where Georgia traveled out to Arkansas and kind of laid an egg. I'm starting to wonder when Jordan Hill comes in here on Wednesday from Dogs 247 if we're going to be having the conversation that Georgia's just about out of the NCAA tournament because they continue to work their way down the SEC standings while Texas A&M and Mississippi State kind of continue to work their way up. Newest AP poll dropped today earlier this morning. Uh, you kind of look around. You've got Kansas at six. You have Tennessee at eight. Um, you have South Carolina all the way up to number 11 in the country. How about South Carolina? 21-3 and three overall Strong. in the country. 
That team comes to Neville Arena on Wednesday. Auburn dropped one place in the AP poll after beating Alabama and losing to Florida. They are now 13th in the AP poll. Alabama at 15. Our Dayton Flyers hanging around. They're at 16, Uncle T-Bone. Watch out for the Flyers now. Kentucky is still in the top 25 they sit at 22 in the country and uh how about indiana state just randomly hopping up there in the ap poll good for uh good for indiana state as well but any surprise there about um auburn dropping down a spot or alabama hanging in there or south carolina uh on the outside looking into the top 10 no but what i continue to see is just tennessee get unbelievable love from the national media and look i know that dalton connect is fantastic right i mean i watched him play he's he's a he's a beast man just give him the ball and get out of the way he can flat out play some basketball but i you know this tennessee team sits at fourth in conference and 17 and six overall continue to be a a top 10 team uh, and have been for quite some time and continue to get all this love from the lenardis and jerry palms of the world you know i I, I'm, i'm wondering if they are really up to that number two like seed that people are talking they're going to get in the NCAA tournament. I'm starting to have some questions about them. And, you know, a lot of it to me is the mentality. Do they have championship grit? Because I'm going to have to see it to believe it with the Vols going from here on out. Well, here's the thing about Tennessee. We've talked about this schedule before. Dropping that game at A&M. Remember, they had just gone and beaten Kentucky two games ago inside of Rupp Arena, one of those three losses that the Cats took at home. Yeah, everybody's beating Kentucky right now. I'm telling you. At Arkansas is what Tennessee's got in the midweek. Home versus Vanderbilt at Missouri. So they should handle business in the next three games. Then it gets feisty. Then it gets hot for for Tennessee down the stretch. Home versus that A&M team that just beat them. Home versus Auburn, which you never know what that's going to look like. At Alabama, at South Carolina, home for John Calipari and the Cats. That is as tough of an end as you can get in the SEC. Auburn top four team, Bama top four team, South Carolina top four team, and Kentucky top four team. That's who Tennessee plays in their final four games of the year. And that, uh, I mean, you cannot expect you can't express how how tough of a stretch that is man that's brutal yeah that's a brutal stretch heading into the sec tournament i have a feeling none of our listeners feel bad for them though yeah you gotta wonder how what the what their sea legs will look like after that five runs and then you roll right into nashville you roll right into nashville it's almost one of those things where if you get bounced in the second round good good we can go home and rest and get ready for the ncaa tournament and remember too as we get closer we're about a month away or so from from selection sunday even closer from the SEC tournament top four teams in the SEC tournament get that double bye and don't play until Friday and that is a huge advantage for those teams because bottom four teams play on Wednesday night then a lot of the other teams most of the other teams play on that Thursday you've got four games back to back starting around 11 o'clock and then the top four teams which currently is Alabama South Carolina Auburn and Tennessee those four teams do not play until Friday when everybody else has at least one game. Some teams have two. Your legs just stay so fresh. You start off in the quarterfinals of the SEC tournament. Teams that would be on Thursday, A&M, Florida, Kentucky, and Ole Miss, man. Tell me that's not a brutal game to have to play on opening round of the SEC tournament. Yeah, that that, that, is, that is very tough right there, Jacob. 
I see nine teams right now in the SEC as of today that have a legitimate shot of getting into the NCAA tournament. Last week this time it was 11. There were only three teams that you could just say goodbye to. I'm saying goodbye to five now. LSU, Georgia, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Missouri, unless they get some type of miracle run and win the SEC conference and get that automatic bid. I just think that there's too much to overcome with their record, too much to overcome with their losses, and it's time is Time is becoming becoming the enemy now. Mm-hmm. It's gonna you know every day, every Wednesday, every Saturday as we approach March. All of a sudden, you'll have run out of games to try and make any kind of run into the tournament. So that leaves the top nine, which includes it's this demarcation line that I see in conference standings with Mississippi State at the very bottom. Realistically, Jacob, I only think eight SEC teams at the most get in unless there's a miracle run. So right now, those three, four. Well, I'm going to say three teams right around that 7, 8, and 9 Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. They're all two of those three, I, I believe, will get in the tournament. One of them's going to get left out. The team that I like most, and I know you're shocked by this, is Texas A&M to continue to move up, <laughs> to continue to move up that food chain in the SEC. And you better watch out, Kentucky, because they're just ahead of A&M, and Kentucky has all of a sudden found you know many ways to lose basketball games. Yeah, according to Joe Lenardi, this was on Friday, so this was going into the weekend. You had Ole Miss and Florida were last four buys. You had Mississippi State as the last four in, so those are bubble teams. Your Texas A&M Aggies, Uncle T-Bone, were a 10 seed. That'll probably move them up after beating Tennessee. Uh, Kentucky was a 6 seed, um, and you never know what's going to happen with them if they continue to kind of play wishy-washy, right? Auburn, on the other hand, going into the weekend, uh, coming off the win versus Alabama before, obviously, they lost to to Florida. They had moved all the way up to a 3 seed, and... I'm kind of curious on what's going to happen with this team with Auburn if they continue to kind of just play 500 basketball because look at their last six games. They're 500. They're 3-3 three and three in their last six games. And we've talked about it doesn't get any easier with South Carolina, number 11 team in the country this, we- this Wednesday. Then the number 22 team in the country, Kentucky, at Georgia. Not an easy place to play, and I'll be in attendance, so Auburn will probably lose. At number 8, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Missouri, Georgia. The end of your schedule, not bad, but you're still in the midst of that really, really tough stretch. So is a three seed realistic? I don't know. I would be willing to bet that Auburn is lower than that come selection Sunday than higher than a three seed. Yeah, what happens if they go 50-50 in those games, right? But it but they don't look they don't look as bad as they looked like they did down in Florida when they lose, right? Mm -hmm. They're just rock fights. They're just back alley brawls, and somebody hits a late jumper to win, you know, and kind of cement themselves back into the tournament, and everyone makes it a big deal that they beat Auburn, and that's how they got in, you know, got off the bubble. If they go 500 from here on out, they're probably looking at either a three or four seed, in my opinion. Well, here's here's the thing that I get upset with a lot of times is – and for people that listen to the show and have for a while – you know that I am a big, big, big eye test person. I Look, the numbers are great. The metrics are great. All the rankings are great. And to an extent, Uncle T-Bone, the numbers don't lie. But they don't tell the whole story. And I subscribe to that wholeheartedly. 
I am a huge eye test person, and that's how I judge Auburn. That's how I've always judged Auburn, and it's how I judge them on this program in particular. And the way that you look against good teams in certain situations, in certain gyms, in certain aspects, whatever, how you visibly look is how I'm going to judge you. Now, they don't necessarily do that in the NCAA tournament. They don't do that enough, I don't think, when it comes to the brackets and making and the seedings and all of that. They they can't, Jacob. I mean, they have to look at so many teams, and there's only so many hours of the day. The reason why we judge Auburn so harshly or so greatly on the eye test is because we're able to look through the metrics. We live this. We know this. We've got a feeling for Auburn. We've been doing this our whole lives, but Joe Schmo from – University of Minnesota is on the committee. He may have watched Auburn like one time. They have to rely on the metrics. Which is a problem, I think. I think it's a problem. I really do. And and, and I do my best, especially in the SEC. I watch a lot of Big Ten basketball. I watch a lot of Big East, Big 12 basketball. Like I watch a lot of college basketball. And that's how I judge a team is, oh, I watched Kansas play Oklahoma or whoever, and they didn't look good in that game. They struggled. Right. I take that with me down the road. I don't take, oh, Kansas lost by two on the road at Oklahoma. No, I look, I watch it's like, oh, they played terrible. And that's just a, a random well, example. But. You know, this is why there are people out there like you on radio shows like this all around the country. There are even people who aren't even on any kind of show who are just f- rabid fans and, and digest and ingest college athletics every single day all around the country and they've got just as as much business if not more being on this basketball committee and on that college football committee and I think that's where the NCAA is losing some of there there should be some regular Joes on those committee too to be like look man I don't care what the metrics say I've watched team x y and z all year and they can't play on the road they don't need to be ranked that high well exactly that's what I'm saying is if I were to look at Auburn on Saturday as a non-Auburn person if I were to have sat down and say you know what I'm going to watch Auburn in Florida that's a good Florida team they're hot oh Auburn just came off a big win and I watched what happened that disaster in Gainesville I would carry that with me all the way to selection Sunday and think I watched that Auburn team play, man. They couldn't do anything. Florida was hot. Auburn was rattled. Auburn couldn't stop them. Auburn was hanging their heads. They didn't come out and adjust. That was a bad Auburn team. That's how I would have watched that as a non-Auburn person. Now, you could watch them against Alabama and say, wow, that's a really good Auburn team. So which one are you going to get? That's how I look at this, Uncle Tebow. That's how I always break this down. I am a huge eye test person. Not everybody likes that, but that's how I judge it. I think that there just needs to be a high-quality mix of eye tests, statistics, these metrics, whatever they are. I can't get anybody to fully explain to me what these metrics are and where can I get a cumulative of all the metrics and different types of metrics, right? That would make my life a lot easier. I'm pretty sure that's a thing called the HUD rankings. Well, that's where I was going with this, so I'm just going to rely on my friend Jack Hudden, jumping Jack Attack Hudden in the HUD rankings over at Jack Hudden 12 on Twitter to to keep me informed on on, all all the those type of particulars and you know look that's why i think what's frustrating to me you said it and i know we got to get to break but golly that was a bad body language game down in gainesville that's what give that's me a good what feeling. makes me sick yeah which doesn't give me a good feeling moving forward and i think a lot of auburn fans feel that way and the reason i am the way i am is if we're not going to use the eye test if we're not going to judge you by based off of what you did on the field or on the floor then why are we playing the games at all 
That's how I look at it. 334-321-1390. We'll get to the phone lines when we come back here on the Monday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Let's get to the phone lines once again here on the Monday edition of On the Line, 334-321-1390. Mark, you're on the line, man. What's up? Hey, guys. What's going on? Hey, uh, got a question. Okay. So, with your eye test, is that not putting too much stock in one uh, one game? I think you got to be careful about uh, you do have to be careful about that Mark that's a great point because you don't want to be too reactionary right you know but 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 over time I think Jacob's eye test philosophy is a little bit different than mine because I'm just a rabid fan and he's a professional and he's going to start he's probably looking more of this like this is kind of an ongoing trend that I'm seeing continually year after year about you know us just having poor body language games on the road or or game over game is where I try to look at it and it's not just Auburn I, I do it with as many teams as I can can't do it with all of them but you know you just watch the trends and the same the same issues if they keep coming up or you know the same thing that that beats a team or or anything like that you know mark and so yeah it's very you have to be careful and not just put it all into one game but yeah you know you just got to do it game by game well this sort of ties into where i'm going with this all right so in the um we know the members that are on the football selection committee correct correct do we know all the members on the basketball selection uh yes you can actually you can look it up it's a it's a whole Basically, it's a group of of people. It's it's sort of similar to the same way they do for football. You've got ads, and you you know you've got administrators and and different different people like that, some commissioners and stuff like that. Right, and to the point that you made earlier about some uh, you know just put some random joes. I think T Bone said it on the uh, committee. Every one of those people are going to have a stake in that selection committee oh they're gonna have more of a stake than than say just you know a couple of sportscasters not unless they're named kirk herbstreet oh yeah well he's you know he's the he's the don't even get me started (laughs) um the other thing uh, i'm gonna leave with one quick announcement can we tell all our listeners that we do not have to stop on a merge lane to get onto the interstate yes yes let them know mark Thanks so much. PSA from Mark himself. Don't stop in the merge lane. Keep on going. It's like a yield sign. You don't have to stop unless somebody's coming. When you're going onto the interstate, you accelerate. When you're coming off the interstate, you begin to slow down. It's pretty simple. Bingo. Also, PSA, traffic circles, you keep moving. You don't stop. You keep unless there's somebody coming. You keep moving. People don't understand traffic circles. They don't. Yeah, they kind of are a new concept around here. Well, uh, I grew up in Ohio. We had one smack in the middle of the town. Right. Like it, we, I grew up in the country, but the town you'd go to where everything was, in the downtown, there was a circle. And so I, I grew up driving on one, so I knew what it was. I think what you need to do is if you're having problem with those traffic circles, folks, get yourself one of those big thunder wagons 
like one of those deals that you'd probably drive around like during the zombie apocalypse with a big <laughs> brush guard because I know you're all hat and you have no cattle. I see these things everywhere and they're just noise polluters and just ram right through the circle. Just take it straight on. Just go straight. Hey, I've seen people do that. I've seen not on purpose, I don't think, but I have seen people do that where they'll drive straight over the middle of it because they don't know how to do it and they didn't see it coming. And, you know. People can't drive, man. Pe- and normally they're going to get so a field sobriety test. Uh, yeah, and there's a good chance that they're going to get a fat F on that sobriety <laughs> test. Uh, Mark, we appreciate the call. You can look up who's on the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. This is from HoopsHD.com, so I hope this is legit. But... <laughs> <laughs> you can look at some of the lists. It's on the internet. It's got to be real. Yeah, I Googled it, so it's got to be right. Um, you can look, and it's kind of like a rotation, same way as the NCAA turn or the um, the NCAA football one. You've got athletic directors. You mentioned the Minnesota AD. You know who else is on that committee right now? Greg Byrne, the Alabama oh, athletic director. Yes, Butler's athletic director, the commissioner of the Big Sky. Um, you've got um yeah so you've got some the swack commissioner so he's on there too so it's the same thing it's it's a group of commissioners administrators directors that sit on this committee and and, and make the decision don't you always like it when they just make this ridiculous overboard point during selection committee like well, they were bringing Alabama to come in to talk about what seating they are. And Greg Byrne left the room. Heck, he left the building. It's like they oversell it. There's no bias here. None at all. Don't even question it. Okay. <laughs> you're telling me you're not believing that? Yeah, I'm not. I am not buying that one, Jacob. <laughs> well, luckily, we, all, uh, we got about a month or so before we have to get into that conversation with Selection Sunday. But coming up, we'll talk to Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network about everything going on around Auburn Athletics. Stay tuned. Jacob Goertz on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Monday edition of On the Line here on ESPN 1067. I'm Jacob Goins. He is Uncle T-Bone. And we welcome in Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. Hillman, appreciate you joining us, man. Great to have you back on the show. And uh, sounds like you had a long weekend over at J.B. Moore Field. Yeah, a little bit. So the weather obviously did not cooperate one single day, other than Friday, I guess. But uh, big time Brett Bowen was able to get the fortune of the weather. So, uh, yeah, Saturday, Sunday were a bit of a washout uh, here down in, in Auburn. Yeah, shocker. He took the beautiful day on Friday and gave you the rainy Saturday, Sunday. Sounds like Brett Bowen to me. So, so be it. It is what it is. He, he, he got a big win up in Missouri on Sunday, so so we'll take it. Well, uh, let's talk about everything going on because it is, uh, it's crossover season now, man. You know that better than anybody with Auburn basketball, men and women's. You have softball that started this past weekend, baseball coming up this weekend as well. But let's start with what happened with softball. We'll kind of work our way through it. Tell us what happened for opening weekend uh, for the Lady Tigers. Yeah, so starting with Friday, the one day that you kind of got full games in and, and completed things. Uh, you, you obviously fall to Virginia Tech, a ranked team in extra innings. The score does, is not 
really reflective of how that game went. It was it was a really back and forth affair as far as the pitching goes. Uh, Matty Pinta came out and did uh, did her thing, uh, going seven innings and uh, and was really in that in that in that eighth inning. Uh, she came back out, but it was just some miscues in the field that kind of let Virginia Tech get runners on, and they pushed them across. Uh, Lindsey Grain was the pitcher for Virginia Tech, and the Auburn offense uh, was able to get uh, hits off of her eight, to be exact, but unable to push uh, more than one run across, and that that was kind of uh, the story there. So uh, I, I really think that this team bounced back well in, in the nightcap against Belmont, scoring six runs. Uh, they were out hit by Bill, Belmont, but more efficient with the hits they did get. So uh, I, I really look at this offense, and I see uh, – uh, Amelia Leck and KK McCurry, they each had a pair of home runs. And then you had uh, Rose Roach as well as Michaela Packer kind of towards the bottom of the lineup. They, they came up big uh, against Virginia Tech in, game, in, in, in day two. That, that game didn't end up uh, finishing and ended up in a tie. So I, I, I'm interested to see how this offense uh, kind of builds upon itself going into uh, Mexico this weekend where you're going to face some more tough opponents, Utah, Clemson, who – or Power Five, obviously, but UC Davis is a good opponent as well as Wichita State. So, I think that's what you're looking at right now is this offense trying to really find some consistency uh, in itself. And uh, I, I think I think it started to find it a little bit against Virginia Tech, but then obviously you only played two innings after that, so it's it's hard to tell uh, where they where they found themselves. Well, Hillman, it, it's really hard to to describe to Auburn fans or, or just anybody listening just how big it is for Maddie Penta to be back wearing the orange and blue and what she brings to this Tigers team coming off an historic season last year and uh, going to try and top it somehow this year. Yeah, the SEC Pitcher of the Year last year uh, obviously brings back a lot of leadership and a lot of experience where she has just been dominant these, these past two seasons and, and, and she's going to continue that this year and Going off and leading off the year, uh, opening day on the plains against a ranked Virginia Tech team, what, what was one of the best tests you could ask for to get things started again? She had a really solid seven innings, but then uh, gave up some hits in the eighth inning that uh, ultimately resulted in Virginia Tech getting the win. But that, that's part of it. There, there's a lot of games to be played, and and I really think that this offense will begin to pick her up uh, as the season moves along. Talking with Jacob Hillman with the Auburn Sports Network. Jacob, look, it was ugly, and I'm not going to be negative here, and I'm not going to say that Auburn's not going to look good on the road ever again. Uh, The three-point shooting, three of 17 down in Gainesville, but the free-throw shooting, too. Tigers probably shoot the worst from the line that I've seen them shoot all season, 14 of 26, 54%. Was that just another indicator that this team wasn't focused and locked in and ready to go? Yeah, it, it, it's hard to say because, like you said, the free throw numbers, that, that's something that hasn't really happened this season, uh, especially with Janai Broome, who was one for eight from the line. He, he, he's he been pretty solid from the line this year after some struggles last season. Uh, and then the three-point shooting, we've seen that a few times this year. And, uh, and I, I really – it's hard to say when you have J- Jalen Williams, for example, obviously went three for ten from the field. It, it, it's difficult when you're coming off that emotional win against Alabama, where you have a career high from Jalen. Janai scores twenty four points, and you really are flowing 
in, in, in all directions in the correct way. And then you go to a place you haven't won in over 25 years and, and, and against one of the hottest teams in the SEC right now, I, I think it, it's hard to beat Florida and Texas A&M as it stands right now. We saw Tennessee go to A&M and lose. And I think both of those teams are, are really hot right now and playing for tournament positioning. But as, as it relates to Auburn, that, that it, you're right. It, it is the shooting and, and really figuring out exactly how you're going to adjust whenever you don't shoot the three well. Because I, I do think that the three-point shot can be a factor and a, a positive impact for this team. But it does seem like there are some games where they really just don't shoot it as well. And, and, and maybe sometimes it might be worth uh, of, uh, not necessarily completely bailing on it, but uh, finding your way inside and doing work there. Well, a lot of teams, Hillman, it seems like a lot of teams coming off of a big emotional win like Auburn did with the Alabama game, they find it hard to kind of bring themselves back down to earth and and focus up and play. And not only that, but when you play Alabama on a Wednesday night and then you have to travel on Friday to Gainesville, something Bruce Pearl talked about, I mean, that's a tough adjustment to make with, like you mentioned, uh, one of the hottest teams in the SEC right now. Yeah, and I I do think that played a bit of a factor. Obviously, this is the first year we're seeing these open dates for SEC teams with the SEC Big 12 Challenge uh, being axed and the ACC SEC Challenge being moved to November. So it's something that teams have had to adjust for and I don't think are quite ready for, quite frankly. And I feel like a team like Florida, obviously, uh, used it to its advantage. They were rested up and ready to go. Whereas when you're the team that's going to be one of the last ones that gets an open date. I, I do believe I, I'm pretty sure Auburn is uh, getting its open date on the last week that that is happening. Then you you kind of don't know what to expect from teams, and uh, I, I really think that Florida just just played its game and and was ready to go. Whereas Auburn, like like we said, was still coming off that high of the Wednesday win against Alabama and wasn't quite ready to go. Uh, for against a team that's only lost one game at home this year. So it was a perfect storm for Florida to get that win. And again, Auburn struggled in Gainesville over the last 25-plus years. So it, it, it's something that I won't say I expected, but uh, I knew it was not going to be an easy win. And, and this Florida team, I expect to continue to win um, until we get to March. And who knows what can happen in March. So yeah, uh, I'm excited. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, Florida's moved up to fifth in the SEC standings. It's a pretty remarkable right. jump. You mentioned them and A&M being red hot. Speaking of red hot, now number 11th ranked in the AP poll, South Carolina, 21-3, and leading the SEC with a seven-game win streak comes to town Wednesday night, 7.30, Valentine's Day matchup. Jacob, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's kind of funny because we were thinking that that Kentucky matchup on Saturday was really going to be the marquee and toughest matchup for Auburn this week. Sure enough, I think South Carolina will really be uh, the ones that give Auburn the toughest test. And uh, they're led by BJ Mack, who's a transfer from Wofford this year, and and he, he and he has been a really really uh, solid scoring big man for the Gamecocks this year. And I think this is going to be Janai Broom's biggest test. And and, and Jalen Williams will guard him a little bit too. But Mack moves around. He's a guy that can play really all five positions in a way. So. I'm interested to see how Auburn guards him, but this South Carolina team is one of the best teams on the road in the SEC. Only lost a couple of road games all year long and neutral site games. And you look at the schedule, it's not the toughest games they've played, but uh, those two losses, one was at Alabama, 
and the other one was at Clemson. The one at Alabama, uh, Crimson Tide only allowed 47 points to South Carolina, only put up 74 points, and we know what that offense is like. So I think this South Carolina, I think this is kind of a game where uh, you're not going to put up 90 points, but you're going to have to limit South Carolina's offense and, and let your defense tell the story. Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network joining us here on ESPN 106.7. You look at these two games coming up, number 11, South Carolina, and number 22, Kentucky, thanks to the newest AP poll that came out today. Luckily uh, for Auburn, both of these are at home inside of Neville Arena, a place that uh, obviously Auburn has played much, much better than they have on the road. But is it too much to expect Auburn to win both of these games with just how good South Carolina is defensively and how good Kentucky is offensively I mean where, where do you kind of stand on that Hillman about the expectation of these next two games no I, I don't think it's too much to expect Auburn to win both of these games I think when the Tigers are playing at Devil Arena in front of the jungle then they can win any game and we, we've seen that over the past several years and uh several years I so 2022 with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler Auburn was undefeated at home last year I think only lost one or two games I think lost to Alabama and Texas A&M Back in 2020, before COVID, uh, Auburn was undefeated going into the last home game of the year and fell to Texas A&M. So, I, I really don't think it's out of this it's out of this world to expect Auburn to win every single home game in 2024, uh, 23, and and in the years beyond. Coach Pearl, that's what he keeps saying is for Auburn to be in the SEC race and to compete for a top uh, seed in the NCAA tournament, you've got to win your home games, and he means every single one. So. That, that includes this week against South Carolina and Kentucky. Obviously, Saturday will be the big one. It'll be the Outlive game. Uh, so make sure you get your Outlive shirts, by the way. You do that at South Carolina uh, at the South Carolina game on Wednesday at Neville Arena. You do that Tiger Talk on Thursday night at Baumhauer's. But college game day is going to be in town. Yeah, college game day. Yeah. Out. Yeah, what do you think about be, that? Coming back, what, the third year in a row now? Fourth year in a row, I think. Yeah, fourth year in a row, I think not counting COVID because there were no ah, gotcha. uh, uh, on-campus shows that year. So, yeah, fourth year in a row, the only other school, Kansas. So mm. that, that's an impressive feat for this program and shows what Coach Pearl's built and what the national uh, media thinks about this program. So I, I'm excited for that, and I know the students will be, and, and, and that's what matters. So uh, it, it's going to be a big week at Neville Arena. Oh, it's going to be a big week in the boys of summer return, Jacob. Eastern Kentucky, yeah. February 16th. This Friday comes to town for a three-game set against the Tigers. That Saturday game, I, I take it, will be about uh, at 1 o'clock or so, so all the students can come to Plainsman Park, newly renovated Plainsman Park, and then roll over to Neville Arena to see the Tigers take on the Cats. Yeah, man, it, it, it's like you said, with, with baseball back, we're, we're – fully invested into crossover season now uh, with the, the arena sports as well as your diamond sports getting underway, plus your tennis, your golf, and whatnot. But, yeah, Plainsman Park, it, 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 it's, gonna, it's, get, it's gotten a little bit of a facelift, some still in progress, and obviously next year's opening day on the Plains, we'll, we'll have the full, uh, the full side of it. Uh, but, yeah, no, this year uh, they're adding the uh, back 40 deck uh, in the right center field for uh, the students, and then there's the Hall of Fame club that's been added behind home plate as well. So two two, two nice additions to Plainsman Park, but it's going to be an exciting weekend. And, and I'll tell you what I'm interested to see is the pitching and how, and how Coach Thompson uh, really kind of game plans with that with, with a lot of depth there 
I, I, you get Joseph Gonzalez back, and you get Chase Allstuff. You have Christian Herberholz. Uh, Cam Tilley's a stud freshman. Drew Nelson's back for his sophomore campaign. And, and there's a lot of guys. Uh, Carson Myers, he's a transfer from UAB. That so many names I could rattle off that I could see being in the starting rotation. It's going to be interesting to see how uh, the team and program works that in. Well, that's the fun part about the beginning of the baseball season and this non-conference you know, run that Auburn will make and most teams do to open up their, their schedule is you can kind of work some things out and almost experiment a little bit. And, and Auburn has the luxury of doing that with so many guys in that pitching room. And, and we know you know that's been dominant and the offense kind of let them down last year in the tournament. But yeah, Auburn has that, that capability and that luxury to kind of figure out who they want their go-to guys to be. For sure, and, and and it's something. It's the same thing with softball. You you are learning about yourself these first few weekends, and and you want to evaluate from there, and and really make sure that uh, you are setting yourself up for success in SEC play. Obviously, you need to win games in non-conference play. You can't suffer uh, any quad four, or quad three losses, or too many of them because it's baseball. You're going to lose some games here and there, but you can't go lose a series this weekend to Eastern Kentucky, but right. you do want to make sure that you are uh, learning about your team and evaluating from there. And and and, and, and next week you get a tough test uh, at the Jacks College Baseball Classic against Iowa, Wichita State, and Virginia. So that's kind of where you really want to see uh, what you're made of. And if Case Auburn fans have not looked at the Auburn baseball schedule, uh, the SEC opener, yeah, it's an easy one. It's on the road at Vanderbilt. So, you know. Well, and and I'll tell you what, that'll be an exciting weekend. SEC basketball tournament, Auburn gymnastics will be there, and uh, Auburn baseball will be there in Nashville. So, how about that? Yeah, if if you want to travel back up to Auburn North, that that's the weekend to do it. Love it, Auburn North and Nashville. I love that. That's been that's been coined at this point. Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. He's with us every Monday at three thirty here during On the Line on ESPN 106.7. Plug everything going on, man. I know you're busy with broadcast and getting the Auburn Sports Network continuing to roll here in crossover season, man. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Jacob Hillman AU and follow the Auburn Sports Network at AU Sports Network. Quick shout out to Auburn Gymnastics getting that big W. Over yes. uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide with a with a season high score one ninety seven point seven two five. Cassie Stevens wins the all around. She, she probably should have gotten a ten on her beam routine, but a nine nine seven five isn't too shabby as well. No, that's not too bad. I mean, I, I could probably get the 10, but, you know, it's fine. We'll, we'll leave it at that. So, awesome, man. That's right. That's right. Hey, man, we appreciate you. Uh, keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Talk to you next Monday. Four Eagle. That's Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network again with us every single Monday here on the Auburn Opelika Sports Leader ESPN 106.7. We'll be right back. Wrap up the show on the other side. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Winding down here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Big thanks to Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, our weekly guest on Monday afternoons, giving us all the all the tea, if you will, on Auburn athletics. And yeah, man, everything going on right now. You've got the men's golf team, number one team in the country, gymnastics taking down Alabama in the Iron Bowl of gymnastics on the mat. Uh, you've got softball underway, baseball this weekend, basketball going on. I mean, you name it, it's all happening in Auburn athletics right now. So we appreciate him joining 
joining us. We appreciate you being along with us all afternoon long here on ESPN. And a reminder, coming up the drive uh, with Bill and Dan, they are out at Franklin Tire and Auto. So uh, they are going to be on location. So uh, they'll be taking over in just a couple of minutes here on the airwaves. But uh, coming up tomorrow on the show, uh, Uncle T-Bone will be gone, but I'll be here. I'll be in here. We'll have Double D. Daryl Dapperts join us on the show in the second hour, get his thoughts. I know he's got things to say about Auburn basketball and a full preview for Auburn baseball as we get closer to that. Daryl's a big baseball guy, so that'll be on the show tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's been a great show today as well. We talked a lot of the Super Bowl. We talked Auburn basketball. We've talked everything under the sun, really. And uh, Uncle T-Bone, I got to ask, do you have a favorite commercial from last night in the Super Bowl? Did you have one? Did you have a one that just stuck out to you that you liked, a feel-good or a funny or, or anything like that? From- yeah, the Dunkings was a great commercial, I felt like, with uh, Aflac and yeah, Matt Damon yeah, and Tom that was Brady, a good one. the Boston Boys. Definitely liked the Clydesdales delivering beer. I thought that was a good one. Everyone likes Arnold Schwarzenegger as well. So, yeah, I thought the commercials were pretty solid, man. I, I was pretty happy about them. So it was a – it was all in all, I, I liked the halftime show. There was nothing controversial about it, yeah. you know, which was very nice for a for a show. The second half of the game was fantastic, and the commercials were good too. So yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun last night watching the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was, and and you know the commercials are they're good. They're not as good as they used to be. I will be honest about that. They are not as good as they used to be. And, uh, man, I remember back in the day, like, the Doritos commercials were always golden. Um, you had those and, and so many other ones. But, yeah, it was good. And, and look, the Chiefs were, were not the better team throughout the first half. I mean, they got dominated in that game. And then Patrick Mahomes, the Saban factor, if you will, is what I've called it. Don't bet against him, man. Don't bet against him. But, hey, you know one of their few losses this year my Green Bay Packers took oh them down, gosh. beat them, man. So I don't know if you want to say, I mean, maybe you can give us a share of the ring. I don't know. I mean, okay, Packers beat them. Couldn't beat the Niners, but we beat the Chiefs. We beat the Super Bowl champs. So I don't know. Hey, real quick, Jacob, uh, looking over this Auburn baseball schedule, man, I'm really excited about baseball this year. I, oh, I am too, Mike man. Mike Irish and Bobby Pierce are preseason all sec there's some really interesting teams coming to town including georgia tech they're going to be playing squaring off against virginia wichita state air force comes to town so uh it's going to be a heck of a good time over at the plant over at the uh over at Plainsman Park this uh, this year. Make sure you get out there on Saturday. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about it as the year goes on. Uncle T-Bone, you'll be back on Wednesday. I'll be back tomorrow, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 106.7. I'm Jacob Goins. Until then, stay safe. I'll talk to you later.